All right, we ready to go, Jasmine? Yep. Okay. Hi, everybody. This is Mako Jones, Chair of the Sustainability Advisory Board. Um, so for tonight's meeting, we don't have quorum yet. We haven't met quorum. We need one more uh, SAB member to join us in order to meet quorum, which means we won't be calling the meeting to order. Um, we won't be voting on last meeting's minutes. Um, if we should meet quorum somewhere during the middle of the meeting, obviously we can circle back and take care of these things. So tonight's meeting will be more of an informational session from the MSO, the transportation board, and then um, from the transportation people asking us for letter of support. You know, maybe if we, at next month's meeting, if we meet quorum, we can vote on it, send a letter late. Um, we'll explore other options if we don't meet quorum tonight and can't vote in order to submit a letter of support. Um, maybe they can, maybe the transportation people can let us know how we can support in other ways that might not require a vote. Um, so what's first on the agenda that we can do, Jasmine, without quorum? This is Jasmine. I can just quickly remind folks about the virtual meeting procedures, and then um, we can go to the, the transit uh, grant letter of support. So I'll start with virtual meeting procedures. Just a reminder that um, for those in attendance today, if you would just mute your microphone if you're not speaking, um, we would ask all of the Sustainability Advisory Board members to keep their camera on if they're able, uh, just so that we can um, see who is present. Um, if you are not speaking and you're not a member of the board, you can turn your camera off. Um, and. Just a reminder that every time you speak, it would be helpful if you could just say your name and who you, you just say your name uh, so that those that are uh, listening in via audio only will know who's speaking. So I think that's it for now. Um, and then I'll turn it back over to the chair um, or we can go straight to Felice with transit. Uh, yeah, let's go straight into the transit informational meeting or informational session. Sounds good to me. Hey. So to do the presentation, you want to introduce yourself and then go straight to your presentation. Sure. Good evening. I'm Felice Laverne, Transit Planner 2 with the city. I'm here to introduce Lawrence Transit's ask for a letter of support for our zero emissions transition plan project submitted in response to KDOT's 2021 Access Innovation and Collaboration Grant. Lawrence Transit will have five zero emission buses by 2022 with the potential for two additional buses in 2023, depending on the outcome of our uh, this year's low no grant, which you all provided a letter of support for. We will have utilized all planned charging equipment by 2024 if we're successful in receiving grants on an annual basis. So to help us plan for future expansion of charging equipment and to meet City goals, Lawrence Transit is seeking funding for a zero emissions transition planning process. This will allow Lawrence Transit to continue to acquire zero emissions buses and charging equipment at the needed rate of one to two buses per year and will make us more competitive for federal grants. Um, let me know if you have any questions. That's about all I've got on that. This is Jasmine, Sustainability Director. I just wanted to add that 
This is uh, in direct support of the policy goal that uh, the Sustainability Advisory Board recommended last year uh, for 100% renewable um, energy, both uh, for buildings as well as transportation, as well as the, um, the five sustainability principles that the City Commission adopted earlier this year. This is Sarah Chenoweth, SAB member. Um, could you tell us some about uh, the, the timeline that, that you wanted this letter to be in? Yes, Felice Laverne, Transit Planner 2. The grant is due on June 25th, but um, usually with letters of support, they'll accept them um, after the due date. I don't think that would be a problem. This is Mako Kwa, um, SAB member. Um, what, I guess, what is the goal of the letter of support? Um, you mentioned that we had offered, we had uh, uh, signed a letter of support earlier. What, what, what is the goal of this letter of support? Sure, Police Laverne Transit Planner 2. This letter of support is for a different grant um, that is in support of the same sustainability goals to get a zero emissions fleet. This grant is to enact a planning process to help us plan for different charging equipment and to how to best use funds that we would receive from low-no grants and um, other grants that we would pursue. Um, I have another question. What, I guess, what is the ultimate goals of the um, transportation, the transit, authority like how many buses do you foresee um trying to maintain is it like all of the buses throughout the city of lawrence or like half the bus fleet um what's the ultimate goals for the um charging equipment electric buses sure felice transit planner too so the city of lawrence and ku operates uh cooperatively these grants are for Lawrence Transit's buses. And so we're aiming to procure all of our future buses. And that would be one to two buses per year is our procurement schedule. And so we're trying to only procure electric buses moving forward. And so uh, that matches with our phase out plan to not have to phase out any existing buses early, but just to keep buying electric buses instead of um, less environmentally friendly buses moving forward. So, hi, this is Kate Johnson, SAB member. So, what are the plans and how many buses are in the fleet? Felice, Transit Planner 2. We might get some clarification on what you mean by what are the plans. We This is to help us make a plan, to to help this grant it would be to hire a consultant to help us make a plan for how to uh, host the buses at the facility, how to use them most effectively on route, um, and how to keep transitioning towards an electric fleet. Okay, so how many buses are in the fleet? How many buses combined, KU and Lawrence Transit have 65 buses. And I believe Lawrence Transit has 20 of those. 
So if you did two a year, it would take 10 years. I believe so. So I think that would get us right at our 2035 goal. Of a does KU have the same goals? I am not sure that, I'm not sure. I can follow up on that. Thank you. This is Marco Kwa. Uh, so does, is the cost increasing to manage a fleet of electric buses versus, um, you know, diesel powered buses or? Police Transit Planner 2, the cost of procuring the electric buses is pretty high. And so that's why we will need to keep going after low or no emissions grants every year. And they're really looking for this sort of planning process or, you know, to have a plan in place so that we can use their funding and city funding efficiently. I'm not sure about the operation or management of them after we procure them. I think we've, this part of that plan will be to make sure that we can do that effectively. Hey, this is Ben Sykes, staff member. Uh, I have two kind of different questions. One is, you know, uh, probably some of the community has seen in the paper this morning uh, talking about the bus design for the new bus station and the new transfer location. Uh, is there a relationship between trying to get this planning grant and thinking about infrastructure for buses with the larger design about the new uh, bus depot and the new transfer station? And then I'll ask another one after you can answer that. Please. Okay. Police Transit Planner 2. It is in relation in that we have to plan for funding and it would be um, these, the, let me slow down, the um, route redesign will go into effect next year, next August of 2022, and the transit facility will also be built by 2022. Um, so this will inform it, but the the most of the work for the electric buses will be at the facility, our maintenance facility itself. And so there will be some planning about how these different electric buses might perform on different routes. You know, hills and different things can affect how far they can go, but it won't affect, you know, how the routes themselves are designed. So this is Ben Sykes again. So the planning that you're talking about isn't necessarily related to the depot and the new transfer station. Uh, is that a, 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 only a portion of what all this planning is? Is that what you're saying? Yes, I think that's correct. The second question is, is and maybe this is a broader question for SAB, but if we see, the, uh, see this as a priority to accomplish the goal of getting full electric buses, is there a way that you guys, if we're comfortable with it, could bring us language that would allow you to either reuse our letters of a recommendation or uh, something like that? Because if you're going to have to go year after year getting new grants to support this, it, if we have a, agreed as an SAB board that we're behind the ultimate goal of electrifying the bus, it seems a bit silly that you would have to come back to the board every single time within that very specified defined goal. Um, to get a new letter. I, maybe Jasmine or others or McCookwell could, could speak to whether or not that would be legitimate. 
Jasmine Moore, sustainability director. Um, I think that makes sense to me. Uh, I don't see why that would be a problem. Um, it would be appropriate uh, right now, the, the chair is the one that signs those letters, so uh, that would need to be updated. So you, you could do something like um, uh, take action to, uh, in terms of a letter, a general letter of support in, related to this specific issue, uh, and then when a new chair is elected, take, take action again just to reaffirm that uh, with the, a new new membership um, at the beginning of 2022. But um, I, I can double check on it, but uh, for the most part, that seems reasonable to me. Um, Felice, we did have a question about in the chat uh, to me about uh, the public being interested in sending support letters. Is that something that would be appropriate for this opportunity? Lisa Byrne, Transit Planner 2. Yes, we would love that. That would be amazing. And I can put my email in the chat to everyone. And we've been sending out uh, form letters to kind of help with that process. So if you would like to submit a letter, I can give you a form letter to make that process go a little easier. So just reach out and we really appreciate that support. This is Michael Claus. So essentially what we could do is a SAB board is um, get like a template of the type of letter that they <clears throat> they would um, need and then we could you know sign it and then probably vote at the next meeting that they um, updated as they need to for continued support from the SAP board is that what we would do Jasmine? Jasmine Moore sustainability director yes. So we would still need to vote on that, but um, but after that, then we wouldn't need to continuously vote on it. This is Ben Sykes, um, SAB member. So would it be appropriate for us to drop or for the transit to drop the boundaries within which that would be, a, you know, that the use of that letter or, or that approval would be used? Like would police or others basically say, you know, within the goal of 100% electrifying the bus, that that would be where we would use this or only towards grants that are meant to directly address bus issues. You know, I'm just trying to figure out how that language would work, because I think we would want to vote on that as well, just to make sure that it's contained. This is Michael. I'm assuming that, um, you know, we would, you know, target this letter for specific things. So, you know, for electric bus grants, then we can specify that um, whoever makes that motion. Um, and then we would want to use a template of theirs so that it could be um, utilized in a way that they they would need to, instead of us drawing up our own, we could just use a template of theirs. Is that right, Jasmine? Jasmine Moore, Sustainability Director. Yeah, that sounds right. And the language that's included in the agenda today um, as that draft letter of support is the same language that was used in the last letter of support and all all we did was update the you know the reference to the grant um and a, a pro, you know the address and that kind of thing so uh i think it would be really easy to um adopt that same language as the form letter this is michael so felice does that sound reasonable to you guys 
Um, once again, we would have to, I mean, if we don't meet quorum tonight, we would have to vote, in, vote on it in the next month's meeting. But after that, you guys could have continued support from SAB as you need to. Lease Transit Planner 2, that sounds great. We're happy to work with y'all to get, to get that put together in whatever way works best. We appreciate it. This is Kira McPherson. Can I ask a question? Go ahead, Kira. Um, I would endorse this um, contingently only if fare becomes free. We need to not just have 100% electric buses, but we need free bus fare. And what we really need are a whole bunch of genuinely weatherproof, decent bus shelters. But my main hang-up would be if the fare is free. Is this an okay time to bring that up? Uh, this, this is Kay Johnson. I don't think that we, this is, that's a two separate issues. And we want to encourage the electrification of our bus system. So I think that needs to be discussed right now. Kira, I, I, I agree with urging people to, our government of officials to adopt free bus service, but I think that we'd have to keep the two issues separate. So when would be a good time to bring this up? Well, that would probably be, uh, ought to go into my subcommittee since that is what was tasked on um, my clean energy and energy efficiency for city operations. So one of your, one of your main points was free bus fare. That was included in that. Which which subcommittee is that again? It's the Clean Energy and Energy Efficiency for City Operations. And then, then we when, would were you, it. when were you going to discuss that with the, with the board and then the city council? Well, we've already had one of our subcommittee meetings and we were looking to have a second one. If you want to join the group, you can. Uh, no, I, I already have enough on my plate, but I really do feel very strongly about bus fare needing to be free. Well, it will be discussed at our subcommittee level first. Okay. Will you let me know when the next meeting is so I can come um, talk about that then? Sure. Okay. Thanks. This is Makakwa, and this kind of goes back to my question to Felice about um, the cost of operating uh, an electric bus fleet, if that would somehow save the city money down the road that we could offer um, free services for low-income, no-income families or for houseless people. Is that something that you guys have thought about in savings in the long run? Or, you know, updating the bus stops, the infrastructure at the bus stops, maybe providing benches? Police Laverne, Transit Planner 2. We are considering a bunch of options. We are also doing some public input processes that are up on Lawrence Listen, some surveys um, that might be of interest about the route redesign and different things that, and some questions do address the fare free option. If you wanna check those out on Lawrence Listens. Um, I think part of this planning process could help us do an analysis of what the cost savings might possibly look like. Um, that's something we would definitely uh, love to see as part of the planning process, but it's something that we are aware of. And I'd also like to add that we will have 20 new um, a combination of benches and shelters out uh, on route by August of this year. 
and we are going to be putting out some more information about that and about our continued plans to increase the level of amenities in Lawrence. Is on there, is there options to increase the bus routes? I mean, more, um, like more bus routes or maybe later hours bus routes? Are those options that the trans, the transportation is looking at? Police Transit Planner 2. Um, I don't want to speak to the individual aspects. There's a couple of good trade-off questions on the survey, definitely about uh, increasing service hours. Um, yeah, so there's there's good information on that survey, and there will be more surveys to come that'll dive deeper into what folks would like to see in terms of routes. This is Makakwa. Is there a way to put that website in the chat so that we can all visit it and look it over? Great. I'll grab that. This is Ben Sykes. I'm just following on a little bit of what Makokwa was just talking about. Is do you have any data from the five electric buses we already have in fleet about how they have impacted, you know, how much money transit is having to spend for gas or or other things like that? I mean, not moving forward maybe, but with what we've done already, how has that impacted transit finances? Police Laverne, Transit Planner 2, the buses uh, that we have received funding for will arrive in 2022. So they're not on route yet. So we've got money for buses, but we don't yet have any buses in use. We're, on, we're working through the procurement process currently. This is Michael. I'm just wondering, is this was the I guess was one of the goals of the electric bus fleet? Was that to meet the 20, 2035 goal that the SAB board set forth or advise the city commission on to adopt? Police Laverne Transit Planner 2. Yes, definitely. We are responding to that policy. Jasmine Moore, sustainability director. I just want to celebrate that because that's that was that came out of this advisory board and this is an example of what that policy looks like in practice. So it's shaping the um, the uh, budget decisions um, that have long term implications. So I just wanted to celebrate you all for that. Yes, and I wanted to thank you please for acknowledging that because I mean that Let's us know that we're doing something right. <laughs> uh, Jasmine, should we open up uh, comments from the public at a certain point? Jasmine Moore, Sustainability Director. Yeah, you can do that if you like. Um, if you would like to give public comment on this item, um, you can turn on your video or you can raise your hand uh, using the Zoom feature to raise your hand. This is Michael Kwa. So if we don't have any more SAB member questions, then yeah, I'd like to open it up to the public and get some of their input or questions. I, ha I have one more. This is Kay Johnson, uh, SAB member. You know, it would probably be a good idea since there's so many questions about the financing of the bus, bus system um, to have a presentation on that, especially since we are going to be discussing uh, fare-free um, transit and some of those other situations, it would be, you know, it, it may be premature relative to the entire fleet, 
um, because you're looking for a planning grant, but surely you already have information about what it costs to operate the buses right now. And so it, it would, and what you would need to be able to operate fare free. So I would suggest that we have some, a presentation at some point uh, by transit on the bus system uh, and, and the um, costs. Jasmine Moore, sustainability director. Um, I, I can either add that to a future item or you can think about if you would like to discuss that in a subcommittee first. If everyone's interested in learning about it, then we can plan it for one of these larger meetings. But um, another alternative is to have the transit staff come to one of the subcommittee meetings to, to talk more. Okay, and it doesn't matter to me in which setting, but there's been, uh, Kira had questions and Ben had questions, so uh, that's the reason why I would suggest that we have that discussion in, in a SAB meeting. That'd be okay with me to do it in the subcommittee too. This is Makakwa. Um I agree, Kay. We should have the uh, presentation, especially since we have so many questions around the financing. Um, so whenever transportation is willing to put that together and present it to SAV would be great. Um, I would recommend having it for a subcommittee just because we have only so many meetings left as a SAV board and there's so many things that we want to get done. So um, I would encourage trying to reserve those for actionable items that we would need to vote on or you know, want to meet our priorities, um, and then whoever wants to attend the informational session can. Sure, and except that everyone can't because of the quorum issue, but but it's likely that everyone wouldn't want to anyway. So that's probably <clears throat> that's probably fine. So at this time, I would like to, I would encourage the public to raise your hands, uh, turn your cameras on, ask questions, make comments. Jasmine Moore, Sustainability Director. I do not see anyone yet that has expressed an interest in giving public comment on this item. This is Michael Kua. Well, if we don't have any uh, comment from the public, um, considering this is just an informational meeting, there's nothing we can really vote on at this point, unless we have met quorum, Jasmine. Has anybody showed up to meet quorum yet? No. Okay. So then um, I guess we'll get back to you, Felice, if we have any additional questions. And um, hopefully we'll meet quorum next month and we can vote on this. And then we'll look forward to providing you continued support with a letter that you guys can amend as you need to. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for presenting to us. So moving on to the next agenda item, what do we have, Jasmine? The next item is a presentation by the City of Lawrence staff uh, from the Municipal Services and Operations Department. And Avine and Trevor, um, let me know if you would like me to run the slides or you should be able to share your screen, either one. 
I can share my screen. It's ready. And there's one correction from the slide, the presentation that I share with you. So uh, do, I, do you need to make me a host? Try it first. And then if it doesn't work, I'll work on it. Okay. So this is Makukwa. Um, I'll turn it over to you guys and just uh, if you could uh, introduce yourself so we know that who we're talking to. Uh, good evening. Uh, I'm Trevor Flynn. I'm the Assistant Director for the Municipal Services and Operations Department. Um, and I'm here tonight uh, with Avine, who is our uh, Environmental Manager. Um, and when she brings that up, I, I can kind of get started. We, we um, I came City in 2019 from Kingsborough Health and Environment, spent 24 years over there. And then when I came over here, I was the general manager of our environment, health and science uh, uh, group. Um, and we met with Jasmine and the uh, SAB probably maybe a month or so after uh, I started. Naveen started in July. Um, so we were pretty new and kind of a, a new work group. And uh, we, we met and that was the times where we met in person. Um, and I know there's been probably a lot of uh, changes on the board and so we, we've been meeting with jasmine kind of quarterly kind of coordinate um different different action items we're we're all working through um Aveen, are you going to get that to the, the start of the presentation um this is it do you do you see it or am i oh okay i'm sharing the wrong screen <laughs> sorry about that just um, a second and and so we thought it'd be a good time to to uh, get together and, and kind of touch base with some of the new members and, and just kind of uh, give everyone kind of rundown of some of the, some of the initiatives that we're working on and, and how they kind of um, translate um, across the, the community as well. Um, I'm still. I'll get. I have a. I'm gonna kind of do a, kind of an intro of MSO and some of our you know the general programs and 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 where what we do. And I'm gonna turn it over to Veen. Um, Is this the right one? Wow. Yes, that's the start. And then just hit the uh, yep. hit the slideshow button. You should be good to go. Excellent. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, do you want to get it so you're not showing the notes? Uh, uh, did you have notes on yours? Your no, no this, we're, we're seeing the notes. Oh. On Let me just, oh my goodness. There you go. Well. It's supposed to not show it, but where would I? Um, this has been Sykes. I think it's under slideshow when you exit out of this and then just unclick uh, presenter mode. Uh, under slideshow. Okay. At the top there, there uh, should be a radio button, a little button you can check or uncheck that says use presenter view. And I think if you uncheck that under the slideshow one there at the top. At the top. Okay. Slideshow. Sorry. Um, Start. Home, insert, tra transition. Oop. Okay. Sorry about that. You're okay. Right there in the middle yeah. after animations is slideshow. You keep going right. I mean, going right. Right. Well, right in the middle, right in the middle. It's a tab in the middle of the presentation. Right there. there. You go. 
and just unclick use presenter view. It's on the far right below monitor. Unclick that use presenter view, that little check mark you want to make go away. There you go. I think it should work now. Okay. Let's go. Is it better now? Uh, yeah, hit play slides for now. What happened? Maybe I shouldn't have. PowerPoint. Here we go. Share. Is it Shawin? You got it. <laughs> okay. Good thing. We're about to phase out this whole uh, Zoom thing and I'm just learning it. Okay. We're all learning with you. <laughs> Even um, now. Okay, so we, we kind of, I'm going to kind of go pretty quick through this so Vinka can kind of get into her programs. We, we really just want to leave some time for discussion and interaction. Um, but just kind of an overview of MSO, big picture wise, we're emerged public works and, and utility department. And we've kind of reorganized over the last, uh, even since I've been here through some retirements and some restructuring of, of uh, things within this to just kind of build some efficiencies. Um, we, we have a, a solid waste facilities and, and fleet group um, that, that works under uh, kind of one larger um, division, so to speak. And, that, and that's kind of a new thing we feel off of some of the operational functions there. Uh, but, that, but, you know, that uh, obviously kind of speaks for itself, the, the trash service, our, re, our curbside single stream recycling service, uh, yard waste collection. Uh, that includes our central maintenance garage, and they manage a, a fleet of about 800 plus pieces of equipment. Uh, which includes the the ones with four wheels and includes the ones with two like generators and and stuff like that, um, as well as our facility enterprise. So those are our folks that go in and kind of take care of our facilities. Our uh, field operation inspections group they handle our uh, distribution system and collection system. So when you think of water leaks or or when when uh, the the pipes under the ground, the, the infrastructure you don't see that's either bringing the drinking water into the home or taking the sewer water out of your house. That's they 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 manage that as well as our stormwater um, collection system uh, out in the field. Um, they also do our, st our streets um, as well as like when you think of the potholes, uh, curb and gutters, any, any of that uh, getting fixed. And then they have the group that does the meter readings and location services whenever, you know, someone's working in their backyard. And we have our construction management and engineering development group. And this is our, this is our, um, you know, our group with our engineers that do a lot of the CIP projects. Uh, any of the big um, projects obviously have kind of the, the RFPs and the engineering be behind them. So they kind of manage a lot of projects. And so those are, um, you know, city funded projects that are often done by um, contractors and, and the like. So think of the capital planning, um, but they also, um, uh, oversee the airport management. So it's a city owned airport. So they, they oversee the airport management and work with the advisory boards out there. And then they work with the planning department a lot, like with the benefit districts and, and land management um, issues. And we, uh, MSO is the largest city department. And so we also have an internal services group um, that kind of facilitates, uh, you know, kind of serves as a, a, a liaison between our finance department and city HR department uh, as, as well, uh, but also manages uh, so our internal services, like handles a lot of our training for our staff, 
um, that we uh, handles you know, our, our hiring within our MSO as well as our MSO budget. Um, and then and then does a lot of our public engagement. MSO has our own um, public information officer, so um, they, they help with, with a lot of that. Um, and then we have an asset um, management, uh, technology and data management group that's also in there. So, so assets, when you think of assets of the city, it's, you know, anything from a vehicle to a, a pump at one of our, our treatment plants. So there's a, a, a hundreds of thousands of assets that we, we manage within a system, uh, kind of a, a and the, and the idea there is to to know what you what you own, to know the life cycle of it, know when you might need to do maintenance on it, and when you might need to replace it. So it's a it's a pretty uh, complex um, group when you look at it for everything we do. But when you when you get man you manage it kind of on a smaller scale for where the work groups are and, and what what who's who's dealing with what um, in terms of maintenance and replacement and planning. Um, and then our environment health science and treatment operations uh, work group. That's the group I oversee. Um, so it's kind of two two divisions, and this is this was a little bit of that change is our our we had a retirement, uh, and so the treatment operations um, being under my purview is fairly new, but that is our our, our wastewater and water operations uh, work groups, which includes uh, our operators, our maintenance, as well as our, our automation groups. So every every plant that we have is is highly automated with lots of pieces of equipment that tell the operators what's what's going on at all times. Um, but we have our um, um, this includes our, our laboratories, and Naveen, you can go go to the next slide, last slide, I believe, because um, we're kind of um, goes to our, our our laboratories, industrial pretreatment, and environmental, and this is kind of where we're going to get into a little bit um, more of, of what Naveen does um, to to kind of capture that. But I want to kind of change my slide here. Um, Okay. Um, yeah. So on the on, on the environmental health and so I think you can kind of go back one. I mean, I was I was trying to get get my 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 notes got all on the wrong screen there. Um, but basically, the EHS group is we're responsible for administering all the environmental per permits held by the city of Lawrence to ensure compliance and reporting requirements are met in accordance with state and federal uh, regulations. So the the city has seven uh, MPDS permits, and that's our national uh, pollutant. Uh, discharge elimination system permits and so those those are clean water act permits so that's anything that discharges to a receiving water um, and then we have uh, storage tank permits we own we have three three storage tank sites that are permitted uh, which is the airport um, a fueling station on the out of walk off of walkers and one one down at haskell compost facility is a permitted facility and uh, our household hazardous waste is a permitted facility and then we have uh, several smaller uh, specialty permits for uh, septage waste, special waste permits, and those are with hams or or with the with um, um, like septage haulers, um, honeybee, or or when the, when the the folks that empty like porta potties and stuff like that. Uh, and then we have a, a biosolids program. Um, so all the wastewater treatment plants produce biosolids, and so there's permits associated with that. And then on the drinking water side, safe drinking water side, there's there's public water supply uh, compliance monitoring we do. Uh, with with all that monitor with all the, that those permits it comes a lot of laboratory work so we provide the environmental laboratory services uh, to, to monitor to meet all our com uh, discharge limits to ensure we're in compliance but we do a lot of testing on the on the water side too because there's there's requirements to test the drinking water and the treated wastewater um, to meet those safe drinking water and, and clean water act requirements 
Um, we also monitor the drinking water for non-mandated properties, uh, which further ensures the protection um, of the system. And that's uh, all published annually and what we call, it's uh, called the Consumer Confidence Report. And that's just got, we just got that published probably early May. Um, so that kind of shows uh, uh, potential uh, pollutants in the, in the system and, and where Lawrence uh, ranked with their, with their data. Um, uh, being a city, you know, the, so I kind of touched on those are those are the things we're regulated by. But but being a city, we're also a regulator. So um, and part of our, our 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 function is to do some of that regulation as well with it as part of our ordinances. So we do manage uh, and implement a fat soil and grease program and industrial pretreatment program, and those those restrict the unlawful discharge of pollutants to our, our sanitary sewer system that comes into our treatment plants. Um, and then we manage the cross-connection control program. And if you, if you have an irrigation system, that's also, that's the backflow program. So those require annually annual testing and that that's to comply, um, to get um, our community to comply with safe drinking water uh, requirements as well um, and prevent that backflow contaminating uh, their, their, their drinking water system for, for their home. Um, but then we also do a lot of uh, emergency response when something doesn't go right or we have some infrastructure issues. Um, if we do get a clog in the system and we get a sanitary sewer overflow, we respond to that, do assessments. Um, and then we also do enforcement with uh, notice of violations uh, to those may have, that have caused it. Um, uh, common ones are sanitary sewer overflows or actually aren't, those aren't actually that common, but like stormwater erosion control, which, which uh, Avene will touch on is, is a big one. When, and that is uh, basically pollution. Uh, the goal is pollution prevention to our stormwater system, but um, that, that's kind of what that touches on. Um, and then, it, as I mentioned, we uh, administer the, the joint operation. Uh, well, the operation is run by the, the Household Hazardous Waste Facility. It's a city of Lawrence and, and Douglas County uh, facility, but the, the city uh, runs the operation there. And then we direct the uh, uh, management of the Lawrence compost uh, pile as well. And then... Um, coordinate our environmental compliance actions uh, associated with stormwater pollution um, uh, permit, which is then you can go down the slide. And then we have a uh, um, uh, instrumentation uh, group within our, our program. And this is to what they're, what, what they are tasked with is running instruments. Um, so we have over 230 instruments in our, in our system that are used for compliance monitoring. So we have, uh, there, when you look at w uh, water quality data, there's two types. There's operational data to make decisions when you look at like trends, and then there's. I'm hearing some feedback there. Um, um, so we, with that, I just want to touch on just a few a few of the facilities um, that that the city operates, and so we have our our, our main wastewater plants, the Kansas River um, uh, wastewater plant. And that's our large one. It's rated at 12.5 um, MGD. And that's kind of how we talk uh, facilities is million gallons per day treated. Um, and the, the, the challenge with this facility, it's an older facility. It does really good at what it was meant to do, but the technology is, is uh, outdated. And, and under the current permit, we have to reduce nutrients uh, going to the, the Kansas River. So that's a major uh, initiative and challenge that's mandated by a schedule of compliance within our current permit. Um, so that's that project's currently in the CIP right now for uh, 50 plus million dollars, um, and we're we're to meet our permit limits by the end of the current permit, uh, which is going to be a big challenge. Um, so we're currently just finishing up a nutrient uh, reduction study uh, with total phosphorus is is the driver on that. So total phosphorus right now uh, we have to reduce it by about. Um, 
uh, a significant percent. From three, we're about 380 pounds a day. We got to get down to about 104 pounds per day. Um, and then, and then with the state, and because this is this goes to the so it looks at it goes to the Kansas River. Kansas River is impaired by nutrients, and so therefore all point sources discharge and it need to have allocations set for them so the Kansas River can meet the water quality standards. Um, and this isn't just applicable to us; it's applicable to Johnson County dischargers, Topeka, um, and, the, and the like. And so, so you know, getting those those upgrade costs um, are challenging, and then sequencing projects as well. You can go to the next one, Levine. Um, our other, our second wastewater treatment plant is our newest one. This is, came online in March of 2018. It's the Walker Russo wastewater treatment plant. This one, we're currently uh, doing a, a biota study. So when you get a new a new MPDS permit, part of the requirement is to is to do a, a study to make sure you're not impacting the the river uh, river neg negatively, so to speak. Um, and so it's called the anti-degradation study. Um, so we, we had to do a study before the plant came online and now we're doing our, our second follow-up study. Um, and what that study is gonna do is to kind of give us a, a picture of what the impact of that discharge has done to the biota of, of the Walker River there. So it's kind of, uh, kind of and Kansas Biological Survey is contracted to do that, but they're kind of looking at the bugs and the health of the stream to see if there's been any uh, degradation of the stream with that new plant there. Um, the good, you know, the good news is uh, that plant has probably performed not just one of the best plants in the state, but probably one of the best plants in the Midwest. Uh, it's, it's allocated for, and again, we're looking at total phosphorus here. To, it's, it's allowed to discharge 58 pounds per day, and, and we routinely are discharging less than three pounds per day. So when you look at our current plant, old plants at 380 pounds a day, that plant's less than three pounds per day. That's that's significant, but that kind of shows you the, the latest and greatest technology. Totally different uh, footprint, looks totally different. And if you tour the two plants, you, you, you it's very apparent that the, the technology is uh, very different. Um, you can go to the next one, Abim. Um, does it go to farmland already? Um, so farmland is, is, is an operation. Um, we call it an operation, um, but it's it's really a remediation site. But from a perspective of managing our, our personnel and our maintenance and, and what we need to do, um, it, it requires uh, a significant effort from some of our staff. And part part of that is because the, when the city acquired the property in 2010, there's a consent degree. And so with that consent degree came considerable reporting requirements. Um, considering uh, considerable sampling, we're out there, we have to do sampling some uh, we have a protocol for some things are getting sampled monthly, some things are getting sampled quarterly. And then when it rains and, and we get greater than um, half inch of rainfall, we're out there sampling stormwater outfalls uh, all the time uh, during those situations. And with that comes we have about, <coughs> excuse me, about 10, 10 different measures we have to report on associated with that consent degree. Um, so there's a lot of uh, uh, protocols there um, regulatory wise, but that, but that also is, has an MPDS permit because that discharges as a, a, a portion of that stream discharges and that's the unimpacted stormwater um, is, is discharged there and then anything impacted gets retained on site or actually pumped over um, to our, our wastewater treatment plants um, to kind of alleviate some of the pressure on some of the, the storage storage areas um, but the, the status of remediation I won't get into because it's, it's a little long but but we're kind of at a point where we're this summer we're, we're meeting with the uh, um, they're, they're finishing one final scope of work. We should have the, the action plan moving forward for what remedial options we'll implement 
um, later this year. The next one on the on the uh, our drinking water plants, our car water treatment plant located near Birchen Park, won the best tasting water in 2019 at, at one of our association conferences. It's a uh, one, of the, one of the older plants um, in a, a very unique building. Um, and, a, and if anyone ever, you know, it'd be great to get folks out for a tour if people are, are interested in seeing either of these plants. But this one's really uh, unique because it is sold. But uh, Lawrence is, is very uh, fortunate because we have two source waters um, and we have two different uh, drinking water plants. And so we're EPA required us to do a, or all communities uh, of our size, do a risk and resilience assessment um, in 2020, uh, which is a, a big lift in there, really looking at cybersecurity. They're looking at uh, uh, malviolent acts, you know, what, what are, how are cities going to respond if someone infiltrates their, um, their and, and, and purposely contaminates their drinking water, so to speak, which, which there's been two significant stories probably in the last six months, one in Florida that, that uh, got uh, hacked and dosed and then one in uh, Kansas here, actually in Ellsworth County, and, and that that one was a disgruntled employee that had got access to it. But so there's those situations do happen, and, and so that's something uh, every community is trying to take take seriously. Uh, so college pulls off the Kansas River, and uh, and challenges with with that plan is is aging infrastructure, and then the Kansas River creates challenges in itself, especially when you get high flow. So we we have a lot of a lot of challenges with our intake down there, getting sand in it. Uh, we do have a well field down there, so we could pull um, their alluvial wells, so we, we can pull off wells as well, but the wells will kind of change that water quality a little bit, so um, we kind of, it's a balancing act to how we, how we pull that out. Uh, being the next one. And so, as I mentioned, our second source water, um, this is the Clinton uh, Water Treatment Plant, and it's located off of Wakarusa, um, and it pulls off of Clinton Lake, so the pump house is kind of if you ever fish below the outfall there's a there's a big pump house there and so it pumps all it pumps a four mile stretch all the way from from the outfall up to the the plant there and uh and this plant different different challenges coming off the lake so we're we this we we have zebra mussels in the intake that we're we're having to uh, uh, manage uh, the lake uh, Clinton has not been susceptible to the harmful algal blooms that some of the other communities in Kansas have. That doesn't mean it won't happen. Um, and so the city invests, we invest considerable resources in uh, watershed projects. So we have two projects on the upper side of um, the lake, um, partnered with Ducks Unlimited in the, the Kansas line of the wetlands and streams. And the KDHE has a program called Watershed Restoration Protection Strategy uh, Workgroups that are funded through EPA 319 programs. So we partner with them on, on, on uh, projects to basically reduce nutrients um, and sediment that goes into the lake um, as, a, as a way to, to protect our source water. And, and they also uh, work on some of our other permits, for instance, our stormwater permits, and that work works as a trade-off um, for points to meet compliance with, with your stormwater permit if you invest in uh, off-site best management practices to, to improve water quality. So that's a, a, a evolving um, a list of projects that we're, we're interested in doing there. And then moving forward, there'll be opportunities to uh, leverage some of the, and then, so when you're working in the watershed, you're, a lot of times we're working, that's where we're addressing non-point source pollution, but it's really to benefit um, uh, us. And so, there's there's opportunities in the future down there to leverage that work to um, to, to to balance your new manage your nutrients as a, as a, a utility as a whole because um, sometimes you have to negotiate um, 
uh, you know, considering we have two plants and, and seven permits discharge in different places, look at the total discharge and total impact. Because no matter where we're discharging, it all walkers, it's going to eventually hit the Kansas River and, and move down. So we could leverage some of that that, that savings on what we prevent uh, nutrient reductions in the watershed uh, with with some of those permits as well. Um, and then, and then Clinton Lake is, is our challenge for uh, our taste and odor compounds. And if, if anyone is sensitive to that, you may be noticing some of that if you're living on the west side of town right now, because we are experiencing higher ja jasmine concentrations, which aren't, aren't um, which are common, like when the lake warms up and, and we warmed up quick and it flips, it kind of changes a little bit of that, that um, aquatic life um, the ecosystem. And so it kind of creates that. Um, you can go to the next one, Ian, and then I'm going to kick it over to you. So our seventh and final MPDS permit <laughs> is actually a non-discharging permit. So this is, if, if anyone's a golfer, the uh, up on that far right of this picture is a non-discharging lagoon system. It's a temporary uh, permit, so to speak, and the temporary measure is once the city runs sanitary sewer out there, we got to hook it up. Um, and, and really the challenge with that one is that, that temporary permits are Lagoon's been out there quite a while, so it's it's just kind of maintaining uh, that infrastructure. And actually, that's a sixth permit. Seventh permit is the next slide, which is our stormwater permit. And this is a big permit because the stormwater permit applies to the city. So our jurisdiction is our city limit. Anything, uh, all stormwater leaving our city limit is, is regulated under this permit. So when we do erosion control or um, when we're saying no dumping drains the river, you know, we're, we're responsible for that water quality to basically, um, ideally just, we want it to be as truly stormwater as possible without picking up pollutants, um, which, is, which is a challenge. It requires a lot of public education and outreach. It's hard to measure um, uh, some of the, the, the improvements when you do projects because runoff events happen quick. So we are required to, to monitor uh, four locations within the city during during stormwater events that are qualifying under the permit. Um, but it is a new permit that's, that's uh, created just not just challenges for us, but for further communities. And that's a big portion of what Avian's work group's been working on. And so I'll, I'm going to turn that over to her um, and let her talk a little bit more about um, the environmental uh, section of our environmental health and science division. Okay, um, so the environmental programs that's, that are in my group and um, have uh, five staff that take care of uh, all those programs, uh, composting, cross-connection control program, basically the backflow uh, regulating uh, and you know monitoring that stormwater. Uh, Trevor touched on the permit and that's basically done in my group where we do implement and um, basically, you want to advance your slides? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, it's not. I was I was working on my own screen. So um, the stormwater uh, permit that requires the city uh, to implement programs and outreach and education and act as a re regulator uh, to any industry or a business that has a potential to uh, pollute uh, stormwater. Um, FOG is basically regulating all the food establishments and uh, industries uh, that have the potential of uh, 
discharging higher uh, content of, uh, you know, grease and fat and oil. Household has this waste is the program where, um, you know, most of our true effort goes into the, as, as the, uh, like, direct contact and a service to all um, city and county. And it's a program that's in a collaboration with the, um, with the um, county. Uh, recycling and environmental outreach, uh, basically the reason it's sitting right there as one aspect of what we do is because our expert who is mostly doing and still working uh, within the um, solid waste division and focus on the recycling data and recycling uh, that's done in uh, Lawrence is Michelle Gandhi. And she's also our expert on environmental uh, outreach, which basically is done under any of the programs that, that's going on in my group. And uh, other efforts and other programs, such as uh, coordinating with planning, basically trying to make sure that anybody and any developer that uh, is um, about to build either a restaurant or any type of building, we follow those permits and we follow those uh, new um, constructions and we uh, try to require all the environmental um, dues or, you know, requirements that is supposed to be um, happening. Storage tank permits, also Trevor mentioned a little bit, uh, we have a couple of sites that uh, have uh, larger storage tanks that, you know, that requires the city to um, maintain a permit on it and do some requirements from inspections and, um, you know, uh, all certification of the pro the uh, staff dealing with those um, storage tanks and uh, whatnot. Um, environmental audits, of course, that's mostly uh, our group trying to audit and look at all the city practices, which is basically also a requirement of our stormwater um, uh, permit. Uh, risk assessment, emergency response planning, and emer you know emerging initiatives like the lead awareness or water converse conversations. Basically, water conservation is not a big deal, but then um, you know the rate changes and of course environmental stewardship is a big deal and focus for my group. Um, in my group, and uh, we have uh, a program administrator, um, Shell Gandhi is the environmental technician with the 25 years uh, experience. Uh, Megan, she's mostly focused on the composting and household has this waste. Meredith is also with the nine years. So, you know, in my group, actually, we have over 50 years of experience working for the environmental initiatives and programs within the city. So I, I always say that, you know, we have a very good experience and, uh, you know, uh, strongly believing in what is good and to be done for the uh, city. Um, so the, the composting, I throw in some numbers here and uh, I try to mostly compare and show what uh, is being done in, in 2020, which is a little bit, you know, showing what, how uh, programs were conducted during COVID, even though we faced a quick and sudden challenge in starting in March, which is the beginning of the, program, uh, you know, composting program, but uh, very quickly, the whole program just uh, started to, you know, 
change or adapt to the situation and keep going with, uh, you know, providing services. So uh, in 2020, 4,848 people, you know, very much close to any other year, uh, access the facility. We still made some money uh, off of, you know, selling the um the products there, but I think, you know, for most of it, it's a great service to the city, uh, not only citizen, but um, we have a landscapers program that access the, you know, facility during other days, uh, and also non-for-profit organizations and uh, schools. Um, citizen access the facility on the Saturdays, every Saturday, um, uh, between March and mid-December. Uh, uh, every first Saturday of the month, uh, it's considered a city load and people really like uh, that event because they come with the larger vehicles or you know capacity to take uh, more product. But unfortunately, during, the, during this time, uh, we really, due to high demand actually, and due to the fact that people started to garden, I don't know, you know, many things contributed to the fact that we were kind of out of the uh, uh, compost material, but uh, it's been it's been really a popular site on the weekends, especially uh, for, you know, residents to access the facility. Uh, the cross-connection control um, program is primarily, you know, the purpose of it is to ensure, you know, uh, assemblies are not contributing to the pollution or reverse, uh, you know, uh, pollutants coming from the uh, closed system into the system and uh, cause issues to the whole um, uh, clean water system. Uh, in 2020, uh, the assemblies that were discovered through plan review, either new construction and plan review or uh, field staff and, um, you know, just uh, field staff discovering those. But uh, these are the numbers of tested and, uh, you know, the, the types of cross connection, of course, is irrigation, fire, domestic and other type of um, backflow for processes, actually, if, if you're, you know, a larger boiler or uh, some type of uh, business that have a chiller, uh, those are also require some kind of uh, RPZ or backflow um, connection system where we check on them, uh, ensure that they're all tested on an annual base and kind of uh, watch that compliance with the testing and success of that testing, whether, you know, if they fail due to the issue with the connection or something, then uh, they will be, you know, communicated with. All of these programs are done with a lot of communication and outreach and uh, education. Um, you know, information on these, you know, customers are notified annually via mail or, you know, information goes into their billing and mailers into the homes uh, or businesses. So, um, and of course, we always have all those information on our websites uh, on, on the different programs that we do. Uh, these are just uh, num basically our all compliance from uh, 2019 to 2020 jumped, uh, you know, quite a bit from 89% to 91. Um, and the chart shows you, 
where most of the compliance or out of compliance uh, is happening and what are the our largest type of um, cross connection uh, that we monitor and we do um, uh, try to regulate. Um, I'm going to leave a little bit of this whole environmental outreach and um, communication um, maybe for Michelle also to jump in here, but basically during COVID and now, even now until we have a little bit more um, uh, in-person events going on, um, the team just, you know, we actually cashed just a little bit of an event at the beginning of uh, 2020, but then everything went virtual. So we did the uh, Lawrence Public Library two-day online uh, event, uh, actually did some in-person uh, presentation on uh, household hazardous waste and recycling uh, still in 2020, and then also contributed to some other online Earth Day speakers and, uh, you know, uh, events like that. Uh, distribution of material, of course, that's also, you know, another way of education, uh, you know, making appropriate fly flyers or cards to show the right information, whether it's for stormwater uh, pollution prevention or fat oil and grease program that's targeted certain businesses and industry. Uh, we also have, um, you know, all the uh, never ending questions of what I can bring to household has its ways or what is accepted, what is not. Uh, you know, we don't take e-waste, but e-waste is done in events and in collaboration with other entities. So all those information mostly uh, are put on, you know, cards or brochures and also repeated over and over at the time of, uh, you know, customers that access um, the household has its waste facility. Of course, uh, you know, we have staff uh, that have an officer position with the Kansas Organization of Recycler. That's also another way of, uh, you know, obtaining more information in the region and area and bring it back to the community. That has been a very uh, great deal of, you know, uh, good work and a good deal um, within our group. These are examples of a couple of brochures or cards, uh, mostly, uh, this is the one for household has this waste. Basically, one side tells you what we take and the other side what we don't take and what you could do uh, and where to take the other stuff that we don't take. Um, this other brochure is basically, you know, for our uh, stormwater friendly lawn uh, care brochure. Uh, we also have another brochure that is uh, just nearly finalized, which is telling uh, talking about most of what stormwater pollution uh, prevention could be done at every level, you know, uh, residents or uh, businesses or any any type of um, activities or uh, process. Um, like I mentioned, you know, fat, fat oil and grease, it's a, a, one of the programs that we do and it's in development. We have a code modification that provides a little bit more detail to uh, regulated industries, which are the food establishment. Um, basically, this is any improvement and any of this, the, the program goal is to help while we have like, you know, 290, 6,220 feet 
of sanitary sewer line jetted every year. And that's that's a lot of work. That's that drains a lot of our resources and money and uh, staff time. And uh, if if we successfully are able to make sure that every restaurant and business have the control uh, to not let as much as grease goes into the system, basically it helps a lot. And you'll be surprised how much of that, um, you know, work that needs to be on sewer, sanitary sewer lines uh, decreases. So um, as part of our effort to educate and outreach the, the, the regulated industry, which is restaurant and food establishment is to send out surveys due to the fact that we were during the COVID and that's when we started uh, most of our programs here. So um, the 322 is basically the, the larger list of our industries that needs to be somehow communicated with giving out information what to do and what they're supposed to be doing to stay in compliance and to do the right thing. And uh, we get responses on uh, the code modification or education and outreach material. And uh, the next step for us is to be basically having some boots on the ground and do uh, in-person uh, inspections at those restaurants and um, uh, food establishment. Um, again, the household has its waste is basically uh, another one of the, those programs that was affected by 2020s in the pandemic. So during the time that was, uh, for the short time that the facility was closed in March and going into uh, beginning of May, uh, we actually, you know, just happened to be needing to uh, pursue a new RFP and select a um, the main hazardous waste disposal contractor, which worked out just fine. Staff started to look at the data and make sure that we do uh, go about, you know, selecting the right contractor that will handle the waste on a regular basis and keep the facility in compliance and keep uh, the service open to um, the uh, small businesses and residents in uh, Lawrence. Um, so, the facility really used to be open hours and uh, everybody had access to it. Uh, but then since the pandemic, we moved to a appointment system where we actually, uh, you know, allow people to make their appointments and come have access to the facility, either drop off waste or come to the storefront, which uh, actually obtained some of the uh, chemical that was brought to us by other uh, businesses and um, residents, and they're in a good shape. They, the safe labels are still there. Then uh, we could put them back, you know, back out there for other people to use it. Uh, and and it's really to me, it's a very good way of recycling instead of paying for that waste to be shipped off and uh, disposed of, uh, possibly in a, an incinerator or landfill. Um, so these are some numbers on comparison uh, of, uh, you know, how the um, monthly drop off total uh, and also average household per day um, between the 2000, well, the, the average household per day uh, is actually a, a comparison f between four four years, but you can see what happened in uh, 2020. We stayed really busy and we uh, had a lot of people dropping off voice as soon as we were able to, you know, set up the facility and open up uh, and have access um, for people to bring in their uh, waste. 
the mistake that I have, uh, Jasmine, and I don't know if you uh, distributed the other presentation, uh, is when I marked it in red, uh, it's actually 61 businesses had the opportunity to drop off waste and we actually uh, only accept um, conditionally uh, exempt or conditionally um, considered small businesses in Kansas can uh, bring their waste to us but they will have to be paying for that service. But um, uh, citizens of, uh, you know, Douglas County uh, and, of course, uh, including the city, uh, city of Lawrence have access to the facility uh, all free. Um, some just numbers, 116,575 pounds of uh, residential dropped off, you know, and businesses, uh, Sometimes we do come across some abandoned business, you know, abandoned waste. Uh, people just uh, do a renovation or quickly clean up and move from one house to another and they leave their waste there. So uh, solid waste staff and, um, you know, staff with my group will go and pick up that waste instead of it to be, uh, you know, spill or go into the storm system. Um 19,491 pounds uh, waste recycled through the reuse. That's the storefront that I talked about where people can come. And if you brought, you know, your 409 and um, you're not using the rest of it, somehow you move, you know, you change to a different product. Uh, if that container is still labeled and in good condition, we put it into the recycled and, you know, picked up by somebody else. Paint uh, is a larger, um, you know, volume that comes through the, uh, you know, the drop off and we sometimes, you know, kind of mix it or just have it uh, put out there again for somebody who don't mind to uh, just, you know, paint with that older paint and, uh, you know, finish up a project. Uh, I will also leave a little bit more detail on recycling or if any question come up with this, uh, Michelle is here on this Zoom call. But basically our role in recycling is, uh, and it's done mostly by Michelle, our expert in recycling, uh, it's basically looking at data and, um, you know, most of the time, and correct me if I'm wrong, Michelle, almost every year an audit is done to look at what uh, what what is the recycling is consist of. Basically, 2020 showed 56% cardboards and paper, 25% glass, 9% uh, plastic, 6% metals. Uh, and this is so surprising to me, but uh, in a way it shows how much education and outreach have worked in here. I mean, uh, the low percent of uh, contamination, that, that's really a good rate. And I, I really credit that to the amount of uh, education that is done and the amount of uh, in-person and good conversation going on that tells uh, businesses, residents, what to recycle and how to recycle. I mean, this is a good rate, and I think we should brag about that. Um, a little bit more numbers on the recycling uh, that came out of the um, that uh, audit in 2020, November 2020. Um, you know, it took a lot of time from Michelle, and I really like her contribution to stormwater program. So uh, she was she spent quite a bit of uh, you know a couple of weeks working on 
uh, the, the audit that was done in collaboration with uh, HAM. Um, so it shows just the tons of uh, paper, cardboard, newspaper, basically um, fibers and tons of uh, separated material, glass, office paper material and whatnot. So um, 6,000 tons of single stream recycling and, uh, you know, material, that's, that's, that come out of the uh, audit. And again, I'm not an expert on this and mostly what we gain or what what we charge and uh, all the, you know, what comes back to us, it, it, it might be some more, you know, information that Michelle can talk about or if you had a question about these figures. Um, so storm water being, um, consuming uh, and you know getting a, a good attention from my group which is basically we came on to be uh you know working on a new cycle of permit and every every you know five years um the permit requires us to uh put together a plan how to implement uh every year this the requirements of uh, stormwater uh permit and basically uh the permit requires the city to uh, basically, you know, just forbid pollution into the waterways. And that goes back to the businesses and all the activities and construction going on in the city. And a big piece of that is education and outreach. Um, education to residents and doing the right thing and uh, partner with homeowner associations and residents to be doing the right thing and uh, possibly maybe even do rain gardens and uh, this and that. But in the same time, it's a it's a large lift to be talking to every builder and uh, developer in Lawrence and uh, try to make them or ask them to be doing the, uh, the right um, handle construction site runoff in the right way to be a um, good amount of erosion control and go back time after time, watch all of those construction sites and try to be also equitable to everybody. If, if we pick on one side and one subdivision, we make sure uh, everybody else is, uh, you know, watch what, uh, what goes on everywhere else. So um, basically uh, public education outreach, uh, training staff, training, um, you know, regulated industries, in this case, mostly concrete suppliers, landscapers, home builders, developers, painting contractors, you know, mobile cleaning. Uh, every time we come across something that we see that some, you know, a, a mishap happened, then that's an opportunity for us to discover, uh, you know, what we could do to make sure that we educate on, you know, power washing, what needs to be done, or, or if we even allow power washing. Uh, and then put together the right information and provide it and then possibly give them a, a chance to correct what they're supposed to do. If not, then we have the system, you know, a compliance aspect of what we do and we actually reach out to those businesses or uh, if it's a construction site, we do issue NOVs and we follow up on those notice of violations and we try to work with them and put a time and day to their compliance. So, um, uh, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth on things, but uh, basically as far as the training goes, uh, every aspect of what the 
you know, the permit and what the regulation is asking us is uh, put together on, on online um, training where staff, you know, initially in 2020, 12 uh, staff took the training and got more informed about what's supposed to be happening. Because uh, if I have three people working on stormwater pollution prevention, guess what that's just not enough between the sampling that needs to be done and all the different uh, businesses and sites that needs to be uh, you know uh, watched and also citizens complain and question and education so um it you know right now it's about 90 90 staff within mso that took that training and became a little bit more knowledgeable about what the regulation and the stormwater pollution prevention is and every field staff that's out and about doing something else is pointing out to an you know an, an issue that needs to be corrected and that you know that helps a lot to be on top of what is supposed to be done first and then of course stay within the compliance for for us as a city so um that's that's mostly what I have on those programs, and I really hope there's a chance for everybody to ask questions. And uh, I don't know if I covered this in a in a clear way or I confused you some more, but go ahead and ask questions. <laughs> this is Karen McPherson. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Um, have you guys talked about getting rid of plastic recycling in light of of some of the plastic information that's come out lately. Michelle, do you want to take this? Um, hi, Michelle Gundy. I'm an environmental technician with the city. Um, we have not. Uh, we are in a current contract with HAM, which I believe is um, a seven-year contract, which is ending this year. So um, that would be a good time when we negotiate the materials taken and evaluate um, the downstream vendors. Um, and, but yeah, as of yet, there've been no um, discussions that I've specifically heard about eliminating plastics from the recycling from the single stream. Um, can I ask just as a board member, if you guys can make a place to have that discussion before your next contract, just so that we can make sure we're not wasting money that might be spent elsewhere? Um, yeah, I, I'm not, Kathy Richardson is our solid waste um, manager and she would have kind of, I know she is the one who goes to the table with ham, but um, I can definitely like put in um, a word and, and see if we can, um, you know, get, SAB included in the conversation previous or prior to, and then also, uh, you know, submit our own uh, comments and uh, I guess recommendations. Okay, cool. Thank you. This is Makakwa. Um, I don't know if this is under you guys' purview, but you talked about it a lot. Um, is there any plans to upgrade the sewage equipment or the sewage pipes in the city of Lawrence? Because everything that I've heard is it's it's really expensive. There's a lot of people that are um, having issues with backflow. Um, it just seems to be a consistent issue across Lawrence of uh, paying for high sewage and 
having issues with their their household sewage. Oh, yes, this is Trevor Flynn, uh, MSO Assistant Director. The, uh, you, you, made, you made the point that the infrastructure has been deferred and it's caught up to us. So uh, if, if you've looked at the CIP, there's, there's a lot of infrastructure projects out there. Um, an example, um, when we run into real challenges are when we see um, private, private lines that are long and maybe go under a street that connect to a city sewer. Um, there's some some projects to, to help address that because when they have when they have problems, it, it becomes a real real expensive fix for them because it's a private line to connect our, our line, which isn't in a convenient location. Um, but there's uh, we have on the southwest corridor um, as when we look at the growth of um, you know kind of when you look at the South Lawrence traffic way on the on the west southwest side of town, there's. Uh, uh, significant project money in the CIP to address some challenges out there. Um, obviously, growth creates more flow. Uh, more flow creates more. Um, and when you when you think at the distance from that part of town to where our main plant is, which is we are, if if you're not familiar with our location, we're basically if you take Eighth Street East, we dead you dead end to the wastewater plant. Um, so we're just east of east of downtown. Um, so that's a long ways to pump, and there's a lot of infrastructure between there and and here. Um, so there's there's always maintenance projects going on. Um, what what we really are focusing on upgrading um, as well as I mentioned was was the wastewater plant here at the Kansas River, and and and, and part of that some of the, some repairs have been done for in 2019. We had, we had a significant rainfall event. Uh, that that lo- literally broke the screens coming into the plant, and so the screens are kind of the first thing the waste stream comes through. And and uh, you know for ed- you know educational purposes, they you know fleshy wipes when they say they're flushable wipes, they're really not flushable. They get caught on our screens. They end up in the landfill. Everything on the screens goes in, into the dumpsters, and we pay. We have a permit and dispose of 200 uh, tons of waste a year that that comes off those screens and our grid chambers. Um, but yes, it's a, it is a challenge, um, not just with with the, the infrastructure on the sewer side, but but with the with the streets. Um, with what we see, a lot of it is reactionary on the water side um, as well. When when we respond to leaks and we fix them, and and what we have is a new we have a new asset manager, and we're using a lot of new technologies to kind of assess the entire system. Um, and we kind of presented uh, in on that 2020 uh, CIP to kind of get that asset management program stood up. Um, so, the, so the programs kind of stood up. The, we're getting the programs to um, we're, the programs right now do condition assessments, and they kind of rank and prioritize where we need to go, where we need to spend those dollars first. But we're really trying to uh, integrated planning um, is is a big term that we use for our projects because we really don't want to you know pave a street that we might have a waterline project on next year. Um, so we're trying to coordinate that infrastructure so so it makes it's kind of that, that lowest cost of service. It's it, it's a value to the community to kind of why we're in there. Let's let's do what we need to do. But I appreciate you uh, bringing that up. I actually have a lot of questions, but I will let other people ask questions before. <laughs> This is Ben Sykes, uh, SAB board member. I, I agree with what Makokwa just said. I have a lot of questions too. Would it be possible for you guys to share the presentation? First of all, thank you, Trevor and Avine, for giving such a uh, you know comprehensive presentation of all you do. I think many of the things wow. that you guys do uh, fall under what SAB would like to think about and, and perhaps provide recommendations for. 
if you guys would be willing to provide the presentation and we can think about it as a board to maybe come back with questions to you guys rather than just you know spend another couple hours uh, on coming back through the presentation that would be helpful yeah this is trevor i, th I think that's a, a great idea ben and that, that was a little bit kind of what i was going to suggest is is you know we we, we kind of kind of gave the, the big picture of what we do and, and really the, the big picture of our priorities is we kind of we kind of do what we have to do that's kind of our number one with our regulated stuff and then our and then kind of those number two things are to do the things we have to do to support the other operations for instance run the hhw because we don't want that in the trash we don't we don't want a hazardous material we don't want our fire trucks you know hitting a lithium battery and, and catching on fire uh, we want to compost you know we don't want that going in the trash because we're you know as ratepayers we're we don't want to pay 33 dollars a ton to to haul material that we could put to a beneficial use uh, to the community with the compost facility so so those types of things um and i, I kind of wanted the bigger picture today because i i think i think the idea is to kind of get that dialogue going to kind of dive into some 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 more targeted discussions uh, moving forward too. So, so, uh, yeah, we'd welcome, you know, just kind of a, a list of questions that we could, we could answer, or if anything you want to, you know, dive in on a little bit more detail, that, that'd be great too. This is Michael Glass, have member. Um, I do have a couple of questions before you guys go. Um, I noticed in one of the slides you, it showed, uh, like a serious dip in revenue as opposed to the rising costs. Um, I wanted to know why that is and where you get your revenue from. I, I believe that was the- uh, Recycling? Recycling, yeah. So I'll, I'll let Michelle chime in um, yeah. on, on that one, but it's 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 gonna be correlated to the, the market um, of, of the, the material we're recycling and that market has definitely changed the last few years. Yeah, so, uh, oh, thanks for bringing that up, uh, that slide. So, um, yeah, starting in uh, 2018, China, um, which is the, the biggest market for um, most of the plastics and a lot of the mixed paper that was going over, really started restricting what was coming into the country. And um, the markets just kind of busted. And then um, oil, which affected plastic, uh, when COVID came on in 2020, that that also dipped quite a bit. So there, there's just been a steady decline in the market value of a lot of the recyclables. Um, and then the processing fees um, that we are charged by ham are they increase by a certain percent. Um, I think it might be around 5% each year just by the contract. Um, and we do get kind of a kickback uh, based um, on a, a, a slight revenue, like um, it's a calculation that's done each month um, as the market, The I guess they call it a blended value of what we're bringing in uh, for the mix, uh, the mix, the single stream. We get uh, a little bit, back um we've had been the past few months but here in 2021 but um during much of 2019 and 2020 that was just there was um there was no kickback because the market value was so low 
Yeah, and I'll add, uh, so part of, part of those market studies is is we also have uh, rate models out, you know, now that we we're working, uh, we had a solid waste rate model conduct, and that's where, like, these graphs come into play with rate models. Um, so it's kind of um, those those kind of come down to those tough fiscal decisions for a community. Uh, you know, if, if we want to provide the service, we have to get the rate model to, to kind of get those lines um, to kind of match the revenue. We're, we're hoping the market uh, comes back, uh, but several, you know, s communities that were involved with recycling no longer recycle because of, because of this graph, um, because they just can't, can't afford to provide that service anymore because they're, they're losing, um, dollars on it. So, uh, I don't, I don't see Lawrence uh, going that direction, but, but, um, there's, there's certain, uh, streams that are, you know, we've talked about, um, you know, that, that have different, different, benefits or, or different value. For instance, I believe the cardboard uh, still has some value there, but there's like the market for the plastic just, just dropped. And then when you look at the weight of the containers, um, like the, the, the glass accounts for like 9% of what, what they're seeing there, but it accounts for about 25% of the weight. And so that's, and that's kind of what the city pays for by the, by the weight. And glass is uh, traditionally a very low value material. Um, it's, it's heavy. So it's costly to transport, and then um, it does not have any or very little um, market value. This is Michael. I have one more question. Um, my question is: So you, I don't know, you may or may not know, but SAB is kind of advising on the updated climate action and adaptation plan, and I'm wondering: um, Are in your operations, are you guys planning for? Uh, climate change events, climate change resiliency. I mean, that's something that we would like to see Lawrence be a leader in, um, in this region is, you know, planning for, for climate change or, you know, tackling climate change as a priority because it, quite frankly, it is a, a big priority. Uh, yes, Trevor Flynn. Um, yes, we, with, with the, in there, there are several several um side answers with that that, that question because that is a uh, um a broad question that is considered on several fronts with with a variety of uh, aspects so on maybe like in our purview the stormwater program is is basically directly um uh, tied into a lot of that initiatives with what we're trying to do is manage those more intense rainfall events that are coming um, maybe less predictably or, or we, you know, you're, we're getting those surges, um, but just more intense. Um, a lot of, a lot of those uh, managing stormwater, everything was kind of designed by, you know, hold a quarter inch rain, hold a half inch rainfall. And what, you know, what we've seen in, 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 in the data will show is when we're getting some of these, these wet weather events, it's uh, a couple inches at a time, you know, and it's surging the system. Um, and so we are uh, challenged with, with, with dealing with that on our, on the, the capacity of the system coming into the plants, as well as managing our, our stormwater coming off of construction sites. They'll, they may put up the best BMPs you could have and they're getting inundated and they, and they just can't, they can't hold them on site. And, and that's pushing all that pollution to the river. So it's uh it's like, um, it, it, it's being considered as, as we evaluate uh, the upgrades to the plant and evaluate what, whether um, uh, more frequent and more intense rainfall events, and that's called like our peak flows. So we're trying to, to be able to manage those um, as well as manage our, our pump stations. 
Um, and, and then broader as an organization, you know, what we're really challenges is with we bring in those upgrades is 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 uh, wastewater treatment. Um, the current plant, I don't know if you've, you've seen here, but there's aeration basins and they pump a lot of air and those air they're, they're pumping um, takes a lot of energy. Um, and so there's a there's a lot of efficiencies we are going to be gaining uh, with some of the new technologies we're <laughs> we're going to put in there, um, but we're also um, play, we're kind of that that planning uh, part where we have a new uh, um, general manager over the solid waste and facilities and fleet group coming in. One of their first tasks is going to be to kind of evaluate a transition plan for the fleet. Um, as well as evaluate a transition plan to, um, or, or I should say maybe maybe an upgrade plan for the facilities um, to, to kind of dive into to some of those, um, what, what we can do uh, now and what, we, what we're going to need to be maybe more challenged with as we transition um, over to, to some of the, uh, the net zero type, type technologies. Um, but with the fleet, you know, I think that I think the fleet transition is going to be it's going to take some time. Uh, we have a lot of special specialty equipment um, that just there's really very few alternatives to look at right now. So I think we're going to start um, probably probably with the, the more support vehicles, basically our, our, our basic vehicles. Um, and then as you get into those specialty vehicles, um, uh, you know, the, I think the idea is there's there's some beta tests going on with some other uh, municipalities across the um, country. Uh, maybe with like the police vehicles on the side there, um, but it needs. Yeah, it, it it we're aware of it. It needs to be thoughtful, um, and there needs to be the the. I, I heard the conversation a little bit with the with the uh, buses. Is is that cost and and being able to to to, to budget that wisely so uh, it kind of lines up with what the organization needs. Um, and so, and I think I think part of part of those specialty equipments is is it's a little bit of. Uh, you don't want to buy too soon because it might get swapped out for a, a little bit more efficient or more uh, affordable unit uh, down the road. Um, so, and then, and then as we're moving into our our strategic plan implementation, a lot of that uh, consideration for a green um, infrastructure uh, alternative um, or, or perhaps a, a a different approach to the projects um, will probably be. Um, you know, because when they evaluate a, a project, they look at several alternatives, um, whether it's uh, you know, wh where the project's going to go or how they're going to move stuff. But but they're also looking at which materials to use, um, and they're going to there's they're going to pull in a lot uh, that 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 kind of that different alternative to evaluate, which may be you know totally appropriate um, in some cases, and 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 then perhaps maybe if it's a a really um, High use uh, intersection or something. It might it might be you really just need to go for your uh, strongest. You know, go for more. What could what could handle the the, wor the workload that's going to be there? But but there's um, and then and then also with stormwater management. When you're looking at water flow through through the stormwater system, there's lots of daylight areas in the stormwater system where where some uh, retention ponds or um, some some green infrastructure could be put in to to provide some bioswales and and some. And then it, which also provides some treatment, but, you know, with every benefit, there's also, you know, a few uh, unintended consequences, whether, you know, you, you hold things up, they, they do require maintenance. Um, and there could be, um, you know, it, it's kind of like you, you want them to do what they do, but you also want that, that water to, to dissipate, you know, you don't want to create uh, mosquito nuisances and stuff like that. So uh, I, I don't know if I answered your question or not. <laughs> yeah, you did. And I guess my last question is, um, how can we as a SAB board and our advising to city commission um, help you um, achieve some of your goals 
or, um, you know, work towards more conservation measures within the city of Lawrence to help us achieve some of these net zero operations? Uh, well, this is Trevor. I think I think really the biggest thing is is just to, at this point is our communication, our dialogue. There's, uh, um, you know, when we met with Jasmine early on, some of, some of the things we were challenged with was we were more involved with some of the events, and we just, uh, you know, we we needed to focus on the services, um, and then and then kind of handing over some of the uh, the events or or any of those things that the community is desiring without that. that Kind of support they support us but they're not the things that uh, we necessarily have the, the the budget or the or the resources to to kind of work into um, our daily operations um so to speak so it's not not necessarily service but but what we find out is you know when it's when the city kind of participates or hosts something you know it, the some of the community the community will kind of expect that as a service um and so we're kind of trying to um, get ourselves so we're, we're we're focused on really what we just we uh, to be frank we have so much work to do with with a lot of the uh, these programs is we just we have to really focus on what we we need to do there but but there's a lot of that um, when we talk to what we have to do regulation wise then when we talk goals those are those are things we really need help to because there's there's a lot of a lot of things we we want to do but we're really uh, challenged with with, uh, with what's helped is, is Jasmine's done, she'll do some research and send us stuff to kind of keep us abreast of some of that stuff is, is kind of learning how to, um, you know, some, some of those transitions, there's, there might be some model programs out there um, that would be good, good for us to, to kind of be aware of. Um, so it's, it's uh, it, you know, because those questions come up because it's like, oh, that's gonna be challenging. I wonder how we're gonna be able to get there. And, and you know, and, and uh, you know, there's there's time to achieve goals and that's kind of, kind of the, the, the 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 period to to get going though is 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 today because it takes it, it will take time to to do a lot of a lot of that that work. Um, so to uh, the short answer, I think is just is just dialogue and kind of kind of uh, I think have some of those targeted discussions um, to, to um, and, and kind of start there. Thank you, Trevor. And I'm sure we have more questions. And like we said, we can send you other questions as we discuss this as a sub board. Um, I did want to open it up to public comment. We have one person, I believe, that wanted to make a comment, so feel free. Hi, I'm Mohsen Fatemi. I'm a PhD student at the University of Kansas. Um, in the context of climate action planning and considering that the city has energy goals, I was wondering if uh, any energy audits have been done for the wastewater treatment plants because I ask this because I used to work at an, an energy research institute back in Illinois when I, where I was doing my master's degree. And we basically identified a large um, wastewater treatment plant and it was the service of utilities that they offered free energy audits to wastewater treatment plants. And there were grants, I, I, I'm not sure whether they were state or federal, to do some retrofits and there, there were lots of opportunities to great opportunity to you know conserve energy by a large amount in those plants so i was wondering if any audits have been done or and um if there are such uh, grants available in, in the state and another comment i wanted to make about the presentation it's well uh, for some of the uh, numbers it's kind of it would be helpful to have some benchmarks so it would make it comparable to so it would make us to 
kind of easier get how we are doing if these are high down or what the implications would be for policy making or making actions in the next step thank you Oh, this is Trevor Flynn. I uh, appreciate the comments. Uh, in regards to the energy audit, uh, on specific to uh, the wastewater plant, um, the, the new plant that came online in 2018 um, was, oh, I would have to check with our design engineer, um, who is uh, in our engineering group. Um, I, 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 I am sure they evaluated that, but I know they looked at some of the certifications for some of the, the equipment um, there. Um, but I would, I, I don't want to say it was audited. I think it was evaluated. Um, some of the, some of the efficient energies there in terms of this plant with the upgrade going on, the uh, part of the nutrient study that did an asset condition assessment. So they've evaluated, um, pretty much every piece of equipment on the, on the property and they put through recommendations through. And so the, the project's kind of phased. So it's, it's the initial setup is like, these are the upgrades needed to meet the permit requirements. And then these are the upgrades uh, recommended to improve uh, perhaps the energy. So there's several electrical panels that are recommended to swap out, change energy. Our current setup here has been audited. I'd have to check um, and, give, and, and get back to you like when that was. But I know our biggest our biggest challenge at the current facility here it's it's an older older technology that treats uh, you know it, it it treats water very well for for the time it was built, um, but it doesn't um, it, it knocks ammonia out. So ammonia is a toxic to aquatic life. So it takes care of all the ammonia, but it doesn't doesn't treat the nitrogen, uh, the nitrates um, are, are kind of the byproduct of converting that to ammonia. But to do that, it's an aerated basin. So we have four aerated basins here that, that uh, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, look like a, a, a dirty hot tub, you know, and, and it's blowing a lot of air and it's a, not a variable airstream. It has to it has to crank that air. And that is our least energy or our, our, our energy consumption um, is, is really driven by those aeration basins. Um, and that that is, um, you know, uh, if that was a the newer technology you could vary you want to blow as much air as the little most least amount of air as possible to make the process work um, and that is because that blowing that air is is it consumes the most energy in these wastewater plants and so we have a pilot study um, that we're participating with uh, the, with the University of Kansas and, and we do a lot of collaboration with their engineering groups um, where we're looking at some of the, some low DO technologies, and you look at those low DO because to get the dissolved oxygen into the, the treatment system, you're blowing that air, which is which is which is energy, which is dollar signs. Um, so so if we get that treatment down to a low DO, um, would be great. The challenge is uh, that wastewater treatment is driven by the bugs within the system. So it's it's you know you see uh, if you ever toured these facilities, there's uh, a lot going on in, the, in those basins, and, and you know what you think you're seeing really isn't what you're seeing. What you're seeing is a lot of a lot of sludge, and uh, which is which is the biomass, which is which is bugs absorbing those pollutants that we can't discharge the river. Um, I think it's a really good question, um, and and I, I will I'll, I'll look into the specific part of the wastewater side. I know for the city side on our facilities, we do have an engineer that we we kind of um, he kind of refers to himself as the, as the building the building person. Um, and he spent a lot of time, and he spends a lot of time evaluating energy uh, savings and needs and, and improvements they can make as, as we, we have some um, projects for some improvements on some of those buildings. And, and he's also focused on some of the, some of the, the air exchange, uh, you know, with, with uh, 
during the pandemic, there was some of that equipment that was available. Um, so I know they're looking at that as well, but I could certainly check with them as well. I have a quick question. Um, has well, the city- hey, just before you ask your question, as far as the uh, rest, the second question that uh, Mohsen had, as far as um, you know, numbers and benchmark, that that's that's exactly why we collect these uh, you know information and or uh, the data that I've shown. It might be quick or I might not have enough time to say what this means and what I'm doing as far as collecting who's accessing HHW uh, in what month. And, you know, it it contributes a lot to staffing and a lot of decisions. Uh, What is the, you know, the demand for, or what month is the higher demand for uh, composting or the drop off of the waste and, uh, all of those data that we collect uh, and keep comparing um, is helping us to, you know, make the right decision and operate uh, every program according to what it needs to be done and how we're steward, you know, better stewardship with, with the funds and budget that's available. We have about four minutes or three minutes until we have a hard cutoff. So we'll have to submit our questions to you after for the next meeting and maybe we'll um, invite you back for more to share more information and answer the questions. I have a quick question, just real quick. Um, there's an EPA finance center that is at uh, Wichita State University and they go around the state evaluating wastewater treatment plants uh, for uh, energy efficiency and cost efficiency. Has the city of Lawrence ever used uh, that EPA finance center. As Trevor, no, uh, I think you're believing you're referring to the Wichita Environment, Wichita State Environmental Finance Center. They it's, do, it's EPA. Funded by EPA. They they do a lot of um, um, assistance with uh, rural uh, communities. I see. Um, but but we we uh, we have not talked to them recently. No. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for coming and presenting to us. Um, yeah, it's a lot to process and I'm sure we have a lot more questions, but but like you said, we hope to keep the dialogue open, hope to collaborate more, um, and hope we can help you out, services, subboard, any way that we can. Um, any more public comment before we wrap up the meeting? Do you see anybody, Jasmine? All right, guys, well, we can't close, you know, close the meeting or during the meeting because um, we don't have quorum, but um, I, we, you know, our meetings are every second Wednesday of every month. So we look forward to everybody attending our next meeting and hopefully we will be able to have quorum and vote on some things um, and take up some actionable items. So thank you everybody for coming. Thank you so much, transportation people. Thank you.